Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade? They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if you're locked out on a Thursday and need a locksmith, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. TNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details. Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Proudly sponsored by B. Braun, a world-leading provider of healthcare solutions. Hello, I'm Luke O'Neill and welcome to my Show Me the Science podcast, where I take a topic I'm really interested in and dig into it from a scientific point of view. Now this week, this is, if I say so myself, a great one because uh, lots of people are interested in this. And again, it's a request that's come in for me to cover something and it's to do with myths. Now, what do we mean by myths? There's loads of scientific myths that I bet you you believe in. You've heard something when you were a child and you think, oh, that must be true. And you carry that with you all through your life. And we often mention these things to each other. A good example would be, is the number 13 unlucky or not? And I'm going to cover that one. And in fact, that may be the last one. I've got 13 on the list of myths. That could be unlucky, couldn't it? You never know. The technology might break down. But I'm going to go through them and describe to you you know, in terms of where these ideas came from and whether they're true or not. So get ready. You're going to have lots of bits debunked here in many ways. And it's interesting. Some of us just believe these things. We're told it, and, oh, that must be true. And it might seem to be true. I mean, this is the interesting thing in the sense that you might say, oh, look, that seems reasonable. And a real important message in science is some things seem obvious and they may not be true. And you want scientific information then to back them up and support them. It's a very important principle in science. And you'll see as we go through them, some of them seem as if they should be true. In other words, we're observing something or we're measuring something and saying, oh, that must be true because I've seen this. And it turns out then there's no evidence for it. So watch this. It's a good illustration, really, in many ways of how science works. Because remember, science is all about getting data to back up what it is you're trying to say and the conclusion you're going to come to the end of this. So it's very important to use the scientific method, I guess, to get at every question. Now, let's begin with the first one. Are you ready? And remember, we're heading towards 13 of them. The first one is, if you go to the Southern Hemisphere and you flush the toilet, does the water go down in a different direction than in the Northern Hemisphere? Now, again, many people believe this and they even tell you they went to the toilet in Melbourne or Sydney or somewhere and noticed the toilet was flushed and then the water went around in a different direction. Now, how they would be remembering that, I don't know. But it turns out there's no truth in that at all the water will turn in the same direction if you flush your toilet in the southern hemisphere as in the northern one. Now, where this came from originally was a thing called the Coriolis effect, where scientists noticed that the earth spinning does affect things in the northern and southern hemisphere. The Gulf Stream, for instance, flows in a certain direction or from the Gulf of Mexico and around Ireland because of this Coriolis effect. It kind of spins with the earth in a way. So big things like ocean currents moving, 
or hurricanes is another one actually do go in a different direction comparing the north to the southern hemisphere but things like flushing your toilet no that doesn't seem to be the case and what determines it and I guess what they've actually looked at this as well what determines the direction of flow are things like the design of the toilet guess what if it's leaning in a certain direction then the water will flow down in a certain direction nothing to do with if you're in the northern or southern hemisphere at all so there's number one gone now number two this one I really believe this myself until I looked it up there literally last night when I was putting my notes together for this glass is a highly viscous liquid I bet you always thought or were told in school that glass is actually a liquid that's flowing very very slowly well guess what it's not it's a solid so that's the end of that one now where did this myth come from well again it's based on observation people noticed that windows the bottom part of a window the glass is a bit thicker right and they said that was evidence for the glass slowly flowing in other words when you put the window up it's all uniform but then over the course of decades and hundreds of years the flow of the very slow of the liquid means it all begins to gather at the bottom of the window and therefore seems a bit thicker that's not the case actually at all now you might see that in certain windows but if you do a proper analysis uh, not all windows are thicker at the bottom so again an observation that suggested that the glass would be a liquid uh, is not true and even though the observation suggested that closer inspection and us scientists we'd love to dig in in great detail revealed this is not the case so there's no evidence for that at all and then of course the chemist will tell you glass is not a hyper you know a highly viscous liquid that's flowing very slowly there's number two gone which now will destroy your understanding of windows now number three is a great one if you're a biologist like me what's the biggest organism on earth now i hear people shout is it the blue whale was it some massive dinosaur from ancient times these are pretty big creatures there's no question that they are but no it's not those it is actually a fungus there is a massive big fungus growing in the oregon blue mountains it's two and a half miles across. That's how big this fungus is. And it's still spreading amazingly. Guess what it's called? The humongous honey fungus. How humongous is the fungus? Just under 2,400 acres. Great name for a fungus, isn't it? But it turns out that fungi, that type of... Uh, of creature if you want to call it that organism is actually can grow to huge 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 sizes so it's one big organism a massive huge single organism and the biggest is this fungus so that gets the credit now for being the largest organism on the earth it's not actually a blue whale at all so that's number three now number four they're coming thick and fast i bet you think you got five senses sight hearing touch taste smell one of my favourite songs from my youth was XTC, Senses Working Overtime. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Well, guess what? You've got more than five senses. There are four more on top of those five. Now, here they are. Are you ready? One is called proprioception. That means you know where you are in space. We can sense actually where we are. You know, our brains pick up. Are we standing up? Are we lying down? Our position can be sensed and that is a sense. The second is thermoception, which means we know what the temperature is. You can tell if it's warm or cold outside. You're sensing the temperature there. That's a separate sense again. The next one is called equilibrium perception and that's to do with balance. So again, you can sense, you know, whether you're uh, upright or not. And that's another key sense as well. And so there you have it, extra senses. And then the last one then is also to do with temperature sense. They reckon that the cold sensation is slightly different to warm. 
So again, a subtlety in how we sense temperature. So in other words, we've more than five senses. We've at least four or more. So, some th think, in fact, we have another two or three. They get a bit more, it gets a bit more controversial. But all of these are classified as different senses. It's not just sight, hearing, taste, touch and smell. These are the ones that are there as well. Now, the next one is another famous one. And get ready for me to uh, debunk this one. You've probably heard this. We only use 10% of our brains. Well, guess what? We don't. We use every part of our brain. If you image someone's brain using a magnetic resonance imager, all different parts light up at different times. So it's not as if you're using a tiny part of your brain. And of course, that myth came about because, oh, we could be much smarter if we could access the extra parts of our brain, say, for example. But it turns out that very often lots of parts of our brains are being used. You know, I guess we could use them a bit differently in different ways or soup up one part maybe. But overall, you're using well more than just 10% of your brain. So that one is now scratched off the list as well. Now, number six is another one I remember from my childhood, actually. And it's to do with elephants. There's a myth that elephants are afraid of mice. And again, that's not true. That would have appeared in a children's book early on and people would have drawn cartoons of elephants jumping up if there's a mouse. And of course, I guess it was humorous because it would have been quite comical if an elephant was frightened of a mouse. But elephants aren't afraid of mice at all. That's not true. They do sometimes get startled, though, by things. And small things can startle them and they'll, they'll, they'll move, you know. But they're not afraid of mice. That's one that's not clear at all. So the elephants, don't worry. Yeah, they're not afraid of mice at all. Now, the next one. Number seven, and they're coming thick and fast now. And watch, you're going to get really like these ones because they're all very common as well. A big one is, do bulls get angry at the colour red? Now, again, you've all seen cartoons of people waving a red cloak. Say, for example, a matador gets his cape off and he shakes it around and then the, uh, the bull then will charge. Uh, and, you know, that suggests that this was true, remember? And you might see that if you've been to a bullfight. You'll see a red cape and then the bull starts to get a bit crazy. So that might make you think, oh yes, bulls are uh, made angry by the colour red. Well, they're not because guess what? Bulls are colourblind, first of all. What they're actually responding to is the movement of the cloak. And that kind of agitates them and makes them nervous. And again, you know, great science. Scientists have compared different coloured cloaks. And they showed the red one wasn't especially irritating to the bull. It was any colour at all. And again, that gets back to my principle. Just because you see something and you say, oh, look, there's a matador. And he's waving a red cape at a bull. The bull's now charging. Bulls get angry at red. That doesn't mean that's true, even though that's what your senses are telling you. You've got to kind of do an experiment. And remember, science is all about doing experiments and getting data to support what you think might be the case. And the experiment on different coloured cloaks revealed that bulls don't get angry at red. And even more importantly, they can detect that, that, that bulls actually are somewhat colourblind. They don't respond to certain colours at all. So, so in other words, it can't just be to do with the red colour of the cloak. And that's one that we can now also forget about. And number eight is one you all know as well. Goldfish have a three-second memory. Now, you may have seen the movie Finding Nemo, and in fact, part of it was based on poor old Dory. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. Um, hmm. Where are they? Well, we were maligning that fish, and we're maligning goldfish. It is not true at all. Goldfish don't have a three-second memory. Now, one study, get this for science for you, they trained a goldfish to pull a lever to release some food. And you can train a goldfish to do this amazingly. And the question was, how long would it be able to remember this business of, of pushing a lever? It was three months. So in other words, the goldfish could learn 
and then remembered how to pull the lever even three months later. So it's not as if after three seconds it had forgotten the trick of putting the lever. It could still do it three months later. And there was the evidence that showed that goldfish don't have a three-second memory. So that one's scratched off as well. So fair play to goldfish and fish in general. This wasn't just be goldfish. They have got good memories. And of course it makes sense because having a very good memory is a very important thing for your survival and any organism has to survive and therefore learning is part of every organism especially animals and so goldfish you know obviously through evolution uh, would have learned things and managed to retain that memory a very important trait is memory so goldfish probably three month memory at a minimum if not beyond I think the investigators probably got fed up after three months and stopped measuring it uh, who knows it might have gone on for longer so goldfish have a good memory is the is the bottom line there now a ninth one which I like now there's hundreds of these I'm sparing you lots of them by the way because we could be here forever but the ninth one is one that I always thought was true and that is a fly lives only only for 24 hours and as a child I remember hearing this and I'd see a fly land on the table I wonder that fly is going to be dead tomorrow I better make the most of its life or whatever it is well guess what not true either flies will live at least a month so forget that that a fly lives just a day and again scientists would have measured that observed the flies and realised they're living a lot longer than a day now where did this myth come from well some flies do live a short time mayflies for example they can live for just minutes, it turns out, or maybe up as far as a day long. So mayfly don't live that long, but most flies, including the housefly, live much longer than a day. So again, I suppose it's an example where scientists looked at one type of fly and extended this to other flies and wondered, are all flies short-lived? But of course, it turns out, no, the mayfly has a specific life cycle where it just lives for a short time, but the average housefly uh, lives much longer than a day. Now, number 10 ostriches now you know the big myth about ostriches that they stick their head in their sand in the sand when they're frightened not true at all isn't that devastating and all those cartoons and you know little stories of ostriches sticking their head in the sand not true and again it's a big mystery why that was ever came up with in the first place that ostriches would do that again evolution wouldn't allow an ostrich to do that would that be ridiculous so the ostrich is under threat and decides to stick his head in the sand it'll be eaten by the predator it's a ridiculous one really and yet we all probably still believe it but now I've told you it's not true and it's nonsense again that illustrates another important scientific point common sense can be useful in science as well like if you if you come across something and you hear something is does that make sense sometimes it may not make sense and still be true but often the most sensible conclusion could well be the right one so therefore the notion that ostriches stick their heads in the sand ridiculous idea and just not true at all how do they respond if they're frightened well they run again this makes evolutionary sense 40 kilometers per hour an ostrich can run at full pelt to get away from a predator sticking his head in the sand not a good idea that wouldn't have lasted very long as an evolved trait would it so there you have it they don't stick their heads in the sand now Number 11, more animal stuff. And again, one to really, uh, again, you would have believed this, I bet. Camel's humps. Guess what the myth was there? That that's where it stores water. Again, load of nonsense. Now, again, you can see why that was configured. People noticed camels could go forever in the desert and didn't need to drink. And they must be storing water somewhere. And they've got big humps, so therefore it's in the hump. Now, that's an example of an easy answer to a complex question. And scientists hate the easy answers because they're usually wrong. The answers are usually much more complicated. And the camel's hump does not store water. They've got fantastic ways, though, of conserving water. They control sweat in various ways. And that's why they can live in survive 
in a desert environment and they've evolved obviously through natural selection to be able to do that you know but they're not storing water in the hump that's complete nonsense the hump is mainly full of fat tissue actually it'll burn the fat sometimes after lots of uh, trekking across the desert they notice the hump got a bit smaller and they wonder oh is that because they're using up the water and again that informed that myth I suppose that the hump does shrink slightly uh, but it turns out it's more to do with burning of fat because it's using up lots of energy so that one's gone as well now number 12 the five second rule now you've all heard this if you drop a sweet on the ground or a piece of food if you pick it up you can eat it within five seconds if you leave it longer you're in trouble that's complete nonsense now where did that one come from like it's as if oh the bacteria now you know oh, I'll tell you what I will jump on that piece of sweet after five seconds the bacteria says to its fellow bacterium down there on the floor how could that be it's just not true at all uh, the five second rule is nonsense of course if you drop a piece of food into some dirt you'd be wise not to eat it but it's okay to pick up a piece of food and eat it and remember if it did pick up a bit of dirt as long as it isn't really nasty dirt your immune system will fight it and you get over it and it could be a good thing for you so forget the five second rule that's completely wrong as well now number 13 and remember i said it's unlucky to have 13 things but anyway we'll go for number 13 and this is one of my personal favorites and every teenager if there are any teenagers listening in chocolate gives you acne that's nonsense as well now again where that came from is a myth or at least an unknown where that particular myth came from is an unknown how could chocolate give you acne is there something in the chocolate that's giving you spots Uh, now what is acne it's bacteria growing in the oily secretions in your face and that's why when you're a teenager by the way you're more prone to acne because you're making lots of this what's called sebum this is an oily substance and, and bacteria love to live off sebum. And for some reason, when the hormones kick in, you start to make more sebum. It dies down as you get a bit older. We still don't know why this happens in puberty, by the way, the increased sebum production. But that's why you get spots. It's not to do with chocolate at all. There's a bit of truth in it slightly in that there is some evidence that it, too much sugar will promote sebum production in your body. So you make a bit more if you have a high sugar diet. Maybe sugar is boosting sebum production in some way and maybe there is sugar in chocolate so that was one notion as to why chocolate might do this but it's not true they've studied chocolate and it's not especially at a risk of creating other foodstuffs with chocolate in for example so if anything it's it's maybe some raw for sugar in driving sebum the sebum might get a bit sweeter maybe and, and the bacteria might like to live off that sweeter sebum that's one possibility but overall don't worry you can eat chocolate not too much obviously but chocolate will not cause acne now they're my 13 but just because i'm frightened and I believe that 13 is an unlucky number, possibly. Let's make it number 14. Is there any basis for the number 13 being unlucky? Now, th- by the way, people are genuinely phobic about the number 13. It's called triskaidekaphobia. And some people have it. I read as well just now Stephen King, the famous horror writer, he hates the number 13. And in fact, many cultures are superstitious. Some buildings don't have a 13th floor, for instance, because I think it's unlucky. This Friday the 13th was always seen as a very unlucky day. And there was a spoof uh, piece of science written that there was more traffic accidents on Friday the 13th. That was a bit of a spoof. There's no evidence for that. Uh, But one strange one is, right... If you look at lotteries, and they've analysed lottery numbers coming up, 13 doesn't come up as often as some other numbers. Our first number is 15. Now again, is it all numbers? I don't know. But there's a kind of a, a suggestion that 13 will not come up as much if you do the lottery. How could that be? That can't be true. And any studies that have shown that probably weren't repeated somewhere else. So the bottom line is there is no evidence at all that the number 13 is unlucky. And that is my 14th myth 
debunked. So now I hope you've learned a lot from me debunking all those myths and I hope it hasn't destroyed you and now you're unhappy because you did believe all those things. And remember, we've got to use science to examine these things. So thanks very much for listening and I hope you will download my podcast, uh, Show Me The Science. It's out every Thursday. It's a News Talk production and of course you can hear me every week with Pat Kenny discussing all things science. Thanks very much. Show Me The Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Proudly sponsored by B. Braun, saluting our frontline heroes for their outstanding commitment to the health of the nation. 